Gracious God, I pray now that you would help us to pay attention to you and your scriptures. That as my words line up with your words, that they would fall on ears and hearts ready to receive them and respond. God, if I say anything that isn't from you, I pray that those words would quickly be forgotten. And I pray all these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Mike, and I'm one of the priests here at Truro, and those texts are loaded. A preacher could spend a lifetime plumbing the depths of them. Fortunately for you, we're only going to look at two this morning. So if you have a Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn to Isaiah 43. We're going to start in Isaiah 43, and then we're going to dip into Philippians 3 before coming back to Isaiah 43 to finish. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. They're in your pews. Please feel free to grab one so you can follow along. You can find these readings on page 604, that's Isaiah, and 981 for Philippians in the Pew Bibles. While you're flipping there, here's the question I'd like to start with today. Have you ever found yourself wishing things could just go back to the way they were before? Maybe back to when your body was young and the responsibilities of the present didn't exist. Maybe back to when your career was growing and thriving or your marriage was easy or parenting lacked complication. Maybe back to the glory days of America or the church or some other happier or simpler bygone era. Have you ever found yourself disappointed dissatisfied with the way things are and instead yearning for the way things used to be. Of course you have. Of course I have. That's a universal feeling. Unfortunately for us, the Bible speaks to it directly. If ever there were a people who might yearn to go back to what was before, to the glory days, it might have been Israel at the time of Isaiah 43. You see, Isaiah 43 is God's word for his people in exile. They'd been conquered by the Babylonian empire and carried off into a foreign land. God's chosen people, the one he had generations before freed from slavery by way of miraculous intervention, his people for whom he established a promised land and a kingdom, fulfilling all of his promises to their ancestors, and then all of it, gone. Everything they had known, loved, gone. God's people once again find themselves exiled under the domination of an oppressive foreign power. It's into this situation that God speaks these words through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43. Starting here in verse 16 and 17, look at it with me. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior, they lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Through Isaiah, God reminds his exiled people that he has a track record 
of making a way where there is no way. He's done it before. If you know your Bible verses, verses 16 and 7 will sound familiar. It recalls the story of Exodus when God makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. He leads his people out of slavery in Egypt and in the process defeats the mighty Egyptian army, sending them to the bottom of the sea. It's literally the miracle that defines God's people for centuries to follow. And here, he reminds his people who are once again in exile, beholden to the whims of a foreign power, that he is faithful and mighty to save, that he's done it before. He has made a way through the sea. Only then, he immediately tells them to forget all that. Look at verse 18. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Wait, what? Why? Why would he say this and then tell them to forget it? The Old Testament, is it not full of exhortations from God to his people to remember, to remember, to remember? And yet here, they find themselves in exile and he says, remember not the former things nor consider the things of old. As one of my seminary professors used to always say, what got us here won't get us there. What got us here won't get us there. And in fact, on some level, what came before is part of the reason we ended up here at all. That's not to say that God doesn't use the past or that he was surprised by the past. He doesn't waste any of it. But Isaiah, God tells us through Isaiah that he is doing a new thing, that he is not done yet. It won't look like what came before. It shouldn't look like what came before. As Old Testament scholar J. Alec Motier writes, the past can teach, but it must not bind. The past can teach, but it must not bind. The gaze must be ever forward to what God will do. Now, hear this. He continues, it's not that the Lord would go back on or rewrite the Exodus, but the Lord's people should live in the present reality of the Exodus God. When we try to go back, we're saying intentionally or unintentionally that God's best work is behind him. Not that what he's done in the past isn't amazing or that he didn't get his way. It was, and he did, because after all, he's God. But friends, God is not done yet. It says right here, verse 18 and 19, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Look right here. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do not perceive it. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I gave water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. God promises something new on the other side. And it's something different than we might be able to imagine on our own. It's a promise of new life. But a new thing that is different 
than they could even know to ask for. Now, normally Isaiah is pretty serious, but I cannot help but think that God is being a little bit funny here to prove a point, okay? Because really, of all the animals in the world to reference here, when speaking of wild beasts that will bring him honor, God picks jackals and ostriches. Jackals, mean and yippy and no match for something like a lion. And yes, I'm thinking of the Lion King here, right? They're always the bad guy or annoying. They're just nagging or screeching. And then, of course, ostriches, which are maybe the weirdest looking animal that God created with those strange gangly legs and those poofy feathers, the ridiculous-looking neck and googly eyes, their hilarious run and inability to fly. I mean, if it was me, I probably would have picked a lion or a bear, something regal and fierce and powerful that says, I'm God, I'm regal and fierce and powerful. Or, or maybe an eagle or a whale, something that perhaps inspires a bit of wonder. Instead, when speaking of the new thing springing forth, the new thing that God is going to do, it's an ostrich bringing him honor. It's not the animal I would have chosen. Don't know that I've ever met a small child for whom an ostrich is at the top of their list of favorite animals. Normally, it's a little way down the list, but I found myself thinking that perhaps God does this on purpose, a jackal and an ostrich. This new thing, well, one might expect an eagle or a lion, but an ostrich? That's unexpected. (laughs) A jackal? It's a little bit surprising. Certainly, it wouldn't have been on my radar. Here's the thing. God doesn't do the thing that's expected. He doesn't work on our terms or on our timelines. What he does, it's new. It's surprising. Shocking, perhaps, even. It's on his terms, in his time, like an ostrich. And while thinking about the ostrich as the chosen animal to bring God glory in the new thing that he's doing in the wilderness, when he does this new thing is a bit humorous, at least I think it's a bit humorous, the reality of the new thing that God would do, it's hardly humorous. Think about this with me. The the tension between expectation in reality, for God's people, for the Israelites. When Isaiah speaks these words, God's people are in exile. And soon, eventually, God will return them home from exile. And at that point, undoubtedly, they would have thought that these prophetic words had become a reality. Another exodus. He's brought us home. It back to the promised land. 
But it wouldn't be long before they were again occupied by a foreign power. If you know your ancient history, first it'd be Alexander the Great. Then it'd be Rome. A series of empires conquering, defeating, occupying God's people. The expectation is another exodus. It's freedom, a return to prominence, to the way things were before. The reality, well, it's more occupation. The new thing that God is promising wasn't to go back to what was before. It was to move forward in a way that nobody foresaw. Friends, Isaiah 43 points us to Jesus. Jesus is the new thing. Jesus is the way in the wilderness. He's the water in the desert. And here's the thing with Jesus. His way is the way of suffering and death. The new way, the way forward, oh, it's the resurrection. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But it's resurrection by way of crucifixion. It's victory by way of death. And as our gospel reading tells us, the cornerstone, that is Jesus, would be rejected and killed, crushed for our iniquities. That's the journey of Lent. It's the walk towards death. It's also the way forward. It's the way of Jesus. Not back to some glorious past, but forward, behind Jesus, losing one's life to gain it, denying oneself to pick up a cross. It's not all happy, clappy, or sunshine and roses in our texts today. The expectation, our expectation, usually it's glory. And glory is coming, no doubt about it. But it comes in the most surprising, unexpected way. Through death on a cross. Paul understood this. Paul lived it. And that's what we see in our New Testament reading today. Philippians 3, he writes in verses 7 and 8, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, Paul writes, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul had lost more than most of us can imagine. Heck, at the time of this writing, he's imprisoned, probably in Rome, and likely knew that he was heading towards a gruesome death. Paul had already lost his Jewish friends. He'd already lost his high status. He'd already been beaten, shipwrecked, stoned, and jailed, among other things. And Paul was writing to a people who had already lost much and would continue to lose much. As one pastor notes, most of the early Christians suffered financially because they refused to strike deals at pagan temples and no longer curtsied to the emperor's claim of total devotion. Families were ripped apart. Husbands dispensed with wives who converted. Christian children were disinherited by parents. Nero burned Christians as torches in his garden. And yet 
even in the midst of all of that, and inevitably tempted to go back to what had been, Paul writes this to the Christians in Philippi in verse 13. He he writes, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, hear this, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then his little bit of sass, I love this. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Paul is exhorting the Philippians just as Isaiah did in 43 and perhaps as God is exhorting us today to keep our eyes fixed on what lies ahead. Despite the pain and confusion, the brokenness and the suffering of the current moment, whatever it is you're experiencing or have experienced, the invitation is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus because God is not done yet. Look, Paul understood that he was going to get it wrong sometimes along the way. He knew that this all is easier said than done. And he admits as much in verse 12. He says right here, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The Lord knows we're far from perfect and we will undoubtedly stake our hope on the past instead of on God's future. We're easily overwhelmed and the disorientation of exile is hardly easy. But friends, believe it. God is not done yet. God is not done yet. If you'll flip back with me to Isaiah 43, this is where we'll finish. He says in verse 19, behold, I'm doing a new thing. It springs forth, do not perceive it. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. God loves us. He's not abandoned us. He's looking out for us and he will certainly provide for us. That's what Isaiah is saying here. God has a plan. But it's equally certain that the plan won't be what we want or what we expect. Because friends, God's ways are not our ways. These texts, both Isaiah and Philippians, they they tell us that God is doing a new thing. But the new thing isn't what anyone expected or could even comprehend. It, It wasn't what they were hoping for or expecting. Walter Brueggemann, Old Testament scholar, writes this, Israel here is urged to get its mind off of old things to focus totally on the new because it pertains to present reality and not to an ancient memory, and because the new is more dazzling, more overwhelming, more massive than any old memory. And you need to see this, because what came for the Israelites before was incredible. The miracle of the Exodus, God bringing his people out of slavery, the establishment of the kingdom of David, The wonders of the exodus in an independent kingdom compared to the present reality of exile. Of course they would have been inclined to go back. That's the expectation, to go back to the way things were. It's certainly much easier than another occupation, like the Israelites would experience, or imprisonment, as Paul experienced. It's certainly much easier than death on a cross. 
but to yearn for days gone by is to acknowledge, whether consciously or subconsciously, that God's best work is behind us. And friends, God is not done yet. What he's promised to do in and through Jesus, and this promise to us now that he will come again, is more dazzling, more overwhelming, more massive than any old old memory. These texts, they tell us that an expectation to go back to the way things were, just because the current moment isn't what we expected or wanted or hoped for, or because it's too hard or disorienting, well, friends, that expectation is far too small. Let's not settle for the easy way back. Because God is not done yet. Paul wants to know Christ and his resurrection, but the way to do that is by entering into his suffering. Not going back to what came before, but keeping eyes fixed on Jesus, trusting that God is not done yet. It won't look like what came before. It probably will get harder before it gets easier, but friends, believe me, God is not done yet. And so what do we do? What do we do? Well, with Paul, we strain towards what lies ahead, fixing our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. We press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, trusting that God is not done yet. Will there be more disappointment and hardship ahead of us? Most certainly. After all, as we've already seen, resurrection only comes on the other side of crucifixion. And do I, in my flesh, wish that there was another way? Of course I do. Of course I do. Like most of us, I want the easy way out. But I'm not God. And so even when things aren't going as planned, and perhaps especially when things aren't going as planned, we're invited to remember that God is God and we're not. Look back with me here at Isaiah 21. This is the final verse of our Old Testament text this morning. God says that he give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. Now hear this. The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. The final verse of our Old Testament text this morning reminds us that we were created for him. He formed us for himself. We exist for his glory, not the other way around, which means he gets to set the terms and conditions for the way forward. And he's not done yet. Of course, things won't always look like we hope or want or expect. Exile is just part of the way that God forms us. And suffering is just part of the deal until the Lord returns or calls us home. After all, we are people of the cross. But it's in the midst of that reality, our hardships and disappointments, that things haven't gone as planned. And we're invited to affirm with Isaiah that God is, in fact, doing a new thing. He's not done yet. And so as verse 21 tells us, let us declare God's praise. In the midst of temptations and trials, let's continue on. Because God is not done yet. 
no matter what it is you're going through, believe you me, God is not done yet. Even when you walk through the valleys of the shadow of death, press on because God is not done yet. No matter the hardships of today or the pain of the past, believe that God is not done yet. Even when the road is marked with suffering, which it will be because that is the way of Jesus. Remember, God is not done yet. He has formed us and we are his. And behold, he promises to do a new thing. Not the thing we want, certainly not what we expect, but his thing. Bringing life out of death, bringing hope out of ashes, bringing redemption and healing out of brokenness and friends. Do you believe it? God is not done yet. Will you stand and pray with me? Gracious God, we declare it together. We believe it. You are not done yet. And yet we acknowledge we are so tempted to try to go back to some rosier time. And so we pray, gracious God, that you would form us to be a people who follow you into the future, into your future. We pray, God, that by your spirit you would form us into the likeness of your son. That you would give us faith to follow where you lead. Living not in the past, but trusting that what you have for us in Christ is better still. Give us faith to believe that you are not done yet. We pray these things through Jesus who died for us, who rose again, and who we believe will come back again in glory.